Hi, so the Bible reading today comes from Luke 14, 7 to verse 14. When he noticed how the guests had picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the place, take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who, who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said this to the host, when you give a dinner, a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, brothers, or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the, crane, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. The second Bible reading is... Sorry. 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love one another deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised to Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, be God. to God. Well, hey, everyone. My name is Andrew, if I haven't met you before. I just want to echo Julian's plug before for kids' church leaders. In particular, I passed to the 4pm congregation right before this here at Neutral Bay, and we really need kids' church leaders there because every week there's about five people who can't sit in the service because they've got to look after kids. And I just love those people to be able to hear the Word of God and not have to be downstairs. So if you're someone who's available Sunday afternoon, keen for kids' church, please love to hear from you if you're interested in serving in that way. Let's pray together as we come before God and his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we, as your Bible says, we are your sheep and you are our shepherd. So we pray now that you'd feed us as your sheep, nourish us by your word, transform us. And we pray this for your glory and your renown in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you found out that you had only three months left to live, how would it change the way you live? If you found out you had three months left, how would it shape your priorities, your passions, the way you use your remaining time? I uh, watched a movie recently, um, The Bucket List. Anyone heard of this movie, watched The Bucket List? Not a great movie, I've got to say. Um, I did shed a tear at the end, but uh, not very good, but I'll watch anything with Morgan Freeman. So, you know, I had to watch this. Uh, Morgan Freeman, Jack Nicholson, and 
I think it's Jack, finds out that he is terminally ill. Only got a few months left to live. And so they decide to tick off all the things on his bucket list that he wanted to do before he died. And so they hang out with beautiful women. They drive fancy cars. They go off and get tattoos together. And they even skydive. That's just what they want to do their last few weeks. Well, in our passage, 1 Peter 4, we are told that for us, the time is limited. For us, the end is near. You see there, 1 Peter chapter 4, it's verse 7. 1 Peter 4 verse 7, it says, The end of all things is near. Jesus is coming back. He could come back tonight. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back in a few years. He's coming. He's coming to judge the world. He's coming to rescue us and bring us into eternity. It's near. It's coming. And the question is, if we know Jesus is coming back, how does that shape the way we live today? And what Peter says is really surprising. You would expect Peter to say, okay, Jesus is coming back, and so it's time to panic by. Head to Woolies. Get all the toilet paper you need. I mean, the end is coming. Or you'd think he'd say, okay, the end is near, so just kick back, relax. Quit your job. It doesn't matter. But instead, what does he say? It's really interesting what he says. The first thing he says is pray. But it's actually the next thing he says that we're really going to focus on. You can see it in verse 8. What does he say to do? Verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply. See, the end is near. Jesus is coming back. How does that shape the way you live? How does that shape everything about your priorities? Love one another. That is what we need to do. And it says, love one another deeply. This isn't a kind of on and off love every now and then. It's not love people at 30% or 50%. It's love one another deeply. You know, you can actually translate it as intensely or constantly. It's a constant, deep, non-stop love. Even when someone's hard to love, even when God puts someone in our 6pm congregation or, or your connect group who is hard to love, we're called to intensely, deeply, non-stop. And I think that's because we know the love of Jesus, isn't it? We know the greatest love that could ever be known. God who gave up his son for us when we were his enemies, who died for us so we could be forgiven. There is no greater love, no greater mercy or grace. We know that love. And that's why, because the end is near, because Jesus is coming back, we're called to love others deeply, intensely, constantly. What we're going to look at tonight is one of the ways we can do that. One of the ways we can love people intensely and constantly. We're thinking about this because this is our theme for the year, loving our neighbour. Now, this way that we're given, that we can love others, has actually been one of the hallmarks of the Christian church since the Christian church began. It's been one of the things Christians have been famous for, actually, since the first century. What is it? 
You'll see verse 9. Verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. One of the hallmarks of the Christian church has always been hospitality. Hospitality. Now, what is hospitality? It is more than just hanging out with your mates. It's more than just having your friends over for a nice meal. It's even more than having the people over from 6pm who you really feel close with and you get along with. It's more than that. Because the word hospitality, I don't use Greek very often in sermons, but let me, let me use it now really simply. Okay, Everyone can get this. The word hospitality, the Greek word, comes from two words. Love for the stranger. Love for the stranger. That's what that word is talking about. Loving the stranger. Loving the person who is not like you, who is outside of your normal circle. Loving the stranger. Now, when I grew up, I was warned constantly about stranger danger. I was told, if you ever see a strange man in a van holding out a lollipop, run the other way. And, you know, we, we just, in our culture, we don't talk to strangers. When you walk into an elevator and there's a stranger in there, what do you do? You pull out your phone. <laughs> because your phone is like your, your shield or your security blanket, so you don't have to interact. In fact, um, people are talking now about social media and how our social media websites have become like an echo chamber. You know, we are just hearing on those sites Voices like ours, ideas like ours, people like us. And less and less we're interacting with strangers, people who are different, people who have different ideas, who come from different backgrounds. And yet here we're called to be something totally countercultural. Love the stranger. Love the person who is different. Now, who is the stranger in your life? Who's the stranger in your life that God's placed? Maybe it's the person who's new to church. Maybe the stranger in your life is someone who is grieving. Maybe the person who's a stranger in your life is someone who has a totally different political view to you. Totally different. Maybe they have a different background, a different orientation, a different gender, a different nationality. Maybe there's someone who's isolated because of COVID. Their family, their friends are overseas, interstate. Maybe the stranger for you, if, if you're married, it might be a single person. Or if you're a single person, it goes both ways. If you're a single person, it might be a married person. Maybe it's someone who's not a believer, not a Christian. What a great way to share the gospel with them not only with our words, that's so important, but also by loving them in practical ways. Or maybe, maybe it's someone totally different. Who is the stranger in your life? We've all got someone, many people, who God has placed in our path. You think about it, that's what Jesus did all the time. Jesus was constantly hanging out with the outcasts, people who weren't like him. He didn't sin, but he hung out with sinners. Now, there's a book I read a number of years ago by a lady called Rosaria Butterfield, and she's written a book 
on hospitality. As a quote on the screen, I love this quote. She says this, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbours and neighbours family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others, and lives out the gospel in word and deed. Tell you why I like that quote. Firstly, it says, hospitality is radical. It is radical. It's different to what our culture is going to do, loving the stranger. But it's ordinary. It's just what Christians are called to do. It's what Christians have always done. And it's seeking to make strangers neighbours and neighbours family of God. We want people to become Christians. We want people to know the life-saving grace of Jesus. And one of the ways we can do that is by preaching the gospel with our words and by loving others. Loving the stranger. Now, this is not new. This has been happening throughout the whole Bible. Throughout the Bible, there are so many commands to love the stranger. Let me just show you a few. Here's just a few. Let's all go all the way back to Leviticus chapter 19. This is God speaking to the Israelites. And he says this, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God says to the Israelites, hey, do you guys remember when you were slaves in Egypt and you were foreigners there? Well, now love the foreigners in your land. Love them as yourself. Love the stranger. Romans chapter 13, it's up on the screen. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Hebrews chapter 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. In fact, hospitality is so important that in the New Testament, there's lists of characteristics that are essential for Christian leaders, mainly talking about pastors, but also I think it's talking about just in general, any leader in God's church. And one of the things on that list is hospitality. Have a look on the screen, Titus chapter 1. It says, rather he must be hospitable. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. And one last verse I want us to look at in our journey through the Bible. Acts chapter 2. It's a beautiful picture of the early church. I love this picture. I would love us to be a church just like this. Acts chapter 2. Here's the picture. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a great picture. They're gathering together, the early church. They're hearing the word of God taught. They're having fellowship with one another. 
inviting each other into homes, sharing meals, sharing their lives, their possessions. And as they do that, God is adding daily to their number those who are being saved. People are becoming Christians. As they hear the Word of God taught, they hear about Jesus, they trust Jesus, they believe they're saved. And as they see God's people live and practice hospitality, they're becoming Christians and joining God's church. Wouldn't it be great to be like that? That's the picture of church we want to aspire to. So let's get practical. How can we love the stranger, whoever the stranger is, a non-believer, a new person at church, someone not like us, someone grieving, whoever it is, how can we do it? Now, can I just say, before we get into the practical stuff, um, I don't think I am particularly amazing at this. Uh, this has been something Christine and I have been working on for a number of years, and by God's grace, we've come a long way. But I'm not sharing this because I'm particularly a guru at practicing hospitality. I need to hear this just as much as all of us. Let's get practical. How can we love the stranger? The first one is opening our home. Opening our home. As I just said, the, the early church met in homes, often with meals. Do you know, I think the most important piece of furniture you own in your home is the dining table. That is the most important piece of furniture. I give you permission to splurge on a good dining table. Actually, you don't need to splurge. You can have a, a really bad Kmart one. It doesn't matter. Whatever you've got, it's fine. But it's the most important because it's at the dining table that we are welcoming strangers, sharing our lives, sharing a meal, loving others. Now, when I talk about having people into the homes, it's different to entertainment. It's different to entertainment. It's different to having your mates over. When Christine and I first got married, I think I've shared this before, um, we, we loved having people over, but we were obsessed about putting on a good dinner, putting on a good night. So we'd be looking up you know, the, the best recipes, and uh, I'd always pick the best playlist that would just take the guests on a journey, just set the vibe right from the beginning. You know, if you come over, I always have to try and pick good playlists. It's very important to me. Um, just getting the right vibe, getting the right atmosphere. And look, I don't really normally care about cleanliness, but when I had people over in those early days of marriage, I would notice every little dot of dirt and I would be cleaning it up. I'd just be obsessed. You see... It was all about entertainment. Entertainment is about impressing. Hospitality is about blessing. See the difference? Entertainment is preparations. Hospitality is about people. Not preparations, people. Entertainment is about the self. Hospitality wants to make others comfortable and bless others. One writer, Jen Wilkin, she says this. She says, Entertaining is searching Pinterest for the best table design. It's having a menu that impresses. It's fretting through every stage of preparation. It requires every throw pillow to be in the right place, every cobweb to be eradicated, every child to be neat and orderly and looking nice. But hospitality... Hospitality chooses a menu 
that allows face-to-face time with guests instead of being chained to the cooktop. The house doesn't need to be perfect. The clothes might still be out and unfolded. The meal may not be flashy. The focus is on the guests. You're asking good questions. You're investing in them. You're listening to their story. So much so that you actually may burn the food because you're so focused on the conversation. That's okay. And so Chris said, and I would now relax a lot. I mean, if we need to order pizza when we have people over, so be it. That's okay. That's okay. Now, this, you can do this whether you're single or whether you're married, whether you've got a tiny studio apartment, or whether you've got a giant house, even if you don't have your own place. That's okay. You can go out for a meal. Anyone can do this. Now, can I just say, I don't think in the North Shore we're particularly good at this. I don't think we're particularly good at this in the North Shore. I used to work at a church in the Fairfield area out in southwest Sydney. And um, basically every week, someone would have us over for lunch. Basically every week. Um, I have one memory of going to someone's place for lunch, uh, an older Lebanese woman. She invited me over for lunch and she brought out this huge platter of food. It turned out just to be me there for lunch, so it was a bit awkward. She was just watching me eat. She didn't eat herself. And... uh, Brought out this huge platter of food, and I ate and ate. And after about you know, 15, 20 minutes, I just said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm just full. I, I know I'm only halfway through. I just can't eat anymore. And I really got quite worried. She looked at me, just looking shocked, and said, Andrew, this is just the entree. This is just the entree. And she showed me the, the oven filled with food. <laughs> just, and that was just kind of what she did. And then we moved to a church in the inner west. And Chris and I were kind of shocked. You know, it, it had gone like three, four weeks. No one had invited us over for a meal. We're just like, what's wrong? Do, do they not like us? Do we smell? And I think it's the same in the North Shore. I just think in our culture, this doesn't necessarily come as naturally as other cultures. It's something we've got to work on. This radical loving the stranger opening our homes. But it's not just opening your home. It's also opening your heart. Opening your heart. There are so many different ways we can practice hospitality. Maybe it's sharing your possessions with those who are in need. Maybe it's comforting the sick, the hurting, making a meal roster. Maybe it's babysitting for the stressed parents, those parents that haven't had time together, this is the two of them for a year, a night out. Maybe it's just saying hi to the person in your apartment block, being vulnerable. Maybe it's you're going out somewhere, you're going out to the beach, going out to a cafe, and you think, well, who could I invite with me? Who could I invite with me and bless? Someone different to me, someone new to church, whoever it is. You see, the options are endless when you think, how can I love the stranger? One of the ways is welcoming at church. I don't mean being on the welcoming team. I mean all of us welcoming at church. We've got so many new people joining our church all the time. And uh, I was at church last week at one of our morning services, and I watched a man walk in. No one talked to him for about two minutes, and he left. It was tragic. 
Do you come to church just ready to welcome? In your mind, does church start at 5.45? You're here because the new people are always first. You're here ready to welcome, ready to love. And church ends in your mind maybe 30 minutes after because, and the first person you talk to isn't your best mate. It's someone new, someone you don't know, someone who's grieving, struggling, someone you can bless, whoever it is. Loving the stranger. Another way we can do this is our connect groups. Every year when we um, launch connect groups, sometimes people find themselves in a group and they're thinking, oh, man, all of my friends are in that group. And I'm in a group of people I don't really know. But that's an opportunity to actually get to know others, to love the stranger, to connect with people who aren't like you maybe. Connect groups are a great way to practice hospitality as we share meals and share life and pray. So many ways that we can open our heart and open our lives. Now, all of this will take sacrifice. It's going to take sacrifice. Your grocery bill will increase, probably. You may have to start going to Aldi instead of Coles. It's all right. It's got some good bargains there. Maybe you're busy, and we're all busy. So for you, it might not be going, you know, full-on straight away. Maybe your first step is just saying hi to your neighbour. Whatever your first step is, start small, it's okay. Your house doesn't need to be spotless. You can just order pizza, whatever. But it will take sacrifice. We're going to need to depend on God as we make ourselves vulnerable, as we... Talk to people who are hard to talk to, maybe. Or connect with people that aren't like us. It's so easy to connect with people who are like you, isn't it? That's the best. Wouldn't it be great if we were in church with people who are all our best mates, all like us, all the same interests? That'd be the best. But how good is the church? So diverse, so different. So sometimes it will be hard. It will take a sacrifice. And that's why the last little bit of verse 9 is so important. There's a bit we haven't talked about. You see the little bit, end of verse 9? Two words. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. You see, when you practice this kind of hospitality, opening your heart, opening your home, there'll be moments you want to grumble. I think I shared this last year. We used to hold a connect group in our place in Newtown and we didn't have a dishwasher. And I would be doing the washing up, the dishes, every week after dinner and I would grumble. Just being honest, I'd grumble. I'd be there going, no one offered to help me clean. They could have at least, you know, come and brought the dishes to me and said they just left. And, you know, Nick was late and he didn't even say sorry. He was meant to start at seven. And, you know, Julian spilt pasta sauce all over the couch and he really wasn't paying attention. Grumble, grumble, grumble. So easy, so easy to do that. And we're told here, though, to offer hospitality without grumbling, joyfully. Now, how do you do that? What's the secret? What's the secret to offering hospitality joyfully without grumbling? It's remembering that God has shown hospitality to us. It's remembering that when we were God's enemies... 
sinned against him. He loved us and gave his son for us. The secret to hospitality is remembering that we were like the prodigal son. We'd run away from God, squandered his wealth, ignored him, rejected him. And what did he do? He ran towards us with his arms wide open and welcomed us into his family. He threw a party with the best food, the best wine, and welcomed us home. He gave up his son for us. That is the ultimate hospitality. God welcoming us home. That must be the engine room of our hospitality. If we want to show joyful, selfless hospitality, it must be driven by God's welcoming to us, welcoming us into his family, showing us grace and kindness and mercy. That must be what drives us to be joyful. I hope you know God's love for you. I hope you know that he's given up his son for you. I hope you know how much he has sacrificed to welcome you home, that if you are not yet a believer tonight, he longs for you to come to him. And when you do, he will throw a banquet in heaven and a banquet for eternity. I hope you know that. So church, as we wait for Jesus to come back, the end is near. What do we do? Love one another deeply, constantly, intensely. Practice hospitality, loving the stranger, opening our hearts, opening our homes, even when it's hard. We do it because we know the love of Jesus who loved us even when we were his enemies, even when we were unlovable. That is why we love deeply. That is why we open our hearts and our homes and love the stranger. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that when we were still your enemies and far off, you gave up your son for us, you loved us, you rescued us made us your children. Thank you for your grace. Would you help us to love others? Help us to love the stranger, whoever that is, to practice hospitality with joy, with joy, opening our homes, opening our lives. We need your help, God, to do this. We need your help to step out of our comfort zone, to do this radically ordinary thing you've called us to do. Would you help us? Would you strengthen us? We pray this for your glory, for your renown. Amen.